It's so good to be with you today, and it's been a beautiful day for us to be together. Tonight, I want to do a lesson that I would say, suggest is more reflective or maybe self-examining as we look at an aspect of our devotion to God. I want to begin with a question, a very simple question, and that is, is being a Christian, is being a Christian the the most important thing about who you are and what you do? Is being a Christian the most important thing about who you are and what you do? Another way perhaps we can ask the same question and that is, is going to heaven, is going to heaven your prioritized ambition? We've got a number of college students here who are planning uh, careers based on education, and that's all very vital in our culture and our times as we try to be responsible human beings. But is going to heaven, though, your ambition? You need a job. Perhaps you need to go to school. There's a lot of things about life that uh, is important and valuable, but is being a Christian the most important thing about who you are, and is your ambition all about going to heaven? To answering that question in this kind of setting is easier. When you're in a very favorable, comfortable setting like this with other Christians, it's easy to have a very positive, very strong approach about our spiritual focus. It's easy to be spiritually focused right now. When you're with other people of like precious faith, people who are believers, people who are Christians, people who are trying to grow in their walk with God and with Jesus Christ. But in our world and in our country, though, humble hearts will admit... Humble hearts will admit that it's not easy when you go out there. It's not always easy to go out in the world and be what we should be because it is a challenge. It really is. It's a challenge to make sure our interests are not divided. That we don't become divided between things that pertain to God and things of this world. We all want to be able to very boldly say, unashamedly, that our master is not materialism. We all want to be, be able to say that. And right now, in this kind of setting, we're spiritually focusing on God, worshiping Him, praising His Son. It's easier to say, yes, materialism is not my Lord, it's not my master. And in this kind of setting, it is also much easier to say, I do not love the world and the things in it. That is not my love. It's easier for us to say that. But when we're out in the world, it's tougher. When we're dealing with the day-to-day struggles and the challenges and the pressures and the, the enticements, it's hard sometimes. So that's why I want this lesson to be really one of reflection, really. It's not so much me preaching to you or at you, but for us to kind of just 
take the evening together and do some reflection, reflecting, some self-examination. I titled my lesson, Securing Undistracted Devotion. Securing Undistracted Devotion. Well, that takes a lot of work to do that. It takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of decision-making. It takes some foresight. It takes spiritual work. Spiritual work to secure an undistracted devotion. And it may even require sacrifices on our part. So, before I get in and and give you three suggestions... Three ways that we can improve, perhaps, a greater security of undistracted devotion. I want to ask another question, and that's this. Are we doing, it's kind of related to the first two, are we doing all that we can? Are we doing all that we can to remove all the possible obstacles? Are we doing all that we can to remove all the possible obstacles? distractions, entanglements that could divide our devotion, that could weaken our devotion to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to our God, Father above. So I have three suggestions of what we can do and how we can go about securing this undistracted uh, devotion to the Lord, which we all want. We desire to have a strong relationship with God and with our Lord and Savior. We want uh, to be focused. We want to be devoted. And so what are some things we can do? Well, my, my first suggestion is this. We need to cultivate an attitude. We need to cultivate an attitude of an alien in a foreign country. That's my first point. We need to develop an attitude, cultivate, train our thinking That we are aliens in a foreign country. And the text that I'm going to use as the primary text for this point is in Hebrews chapter 11. Where it talks about Father Abraham. And the kind of faith that he had. And you listen here to what the Holy Spirit says about him. In chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 9... Well, let me start in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. He obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So the first point is this. We need to cultivate attitudes that we see ourselves as aliens in a foreign country, even here in our homeland. And you think about that idea. Abraham lived in tents. He lived in tents. The whole time he was in the land of Canaan and Egypt. Everywhere he went, he was living in tents. But not only did Abraham do that, Isaac did that, Jacob did that, 
They all lived this very nomadic lifestyle. Now, we all know that they were occupationally shepherds. And so we perhaps would tend to think, well, you know, there's some logic to this. You know, occupationally they are shepherds. But what were they spiritually, though? They were shepherds occupationally. Spiritually, they were pilgrims. They're pilgrims. In the land that they are promised that they never possessed for themselves. Think about that. The promised land was not in their possession. But for most of their life, they lived in it. They lived in the land that God said, this is your inheritance, but you're not going to get it right now. It's going to come to your descendants a few hundred years later. And you think about during that whole time, it says, you know, here they are. By faith, they left home. By faith, they, they lived in this, this uh, foreign land in tents. And when you're reading particularly the book of Genesis, you know, it seems to appear that there were moments during this time period that there was some prolonged time. It's not like every day they, they moved their encampment. And so, in our, at least from my thinking, you know, why didn't at least in those periods of time when they were staying for a while, a little bit longer than some of the other places, why didn't they simply build something a little bit more permanent than just this tent if they're going to stay in a place a while? Why didn't they do that? Well, as we read already, Abraham was looking for something else. He was looking for a city, and we're told he was looking for the city of God, the city that was built by God. If you continue reading here in Hebrews 11, speaking of Abraham and others as well, men and women of faith, verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them. Having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham, yes, was promised the land of Canaan, and then it would go to his descendants. And his descendants would become that nation that God promised that they would become. But Abraham was looking for something so much greater than that. Something so much more permanent than that. He was looking to the city that was built by God. A heavenly city, an eternal city. And I think the scriptures seem to indicate, at least in my reading, that Abraham did not want to become too comfortable with the here and now. That Abraham didn't want to become too settled in with the things of this world because he knew, I'm just an alien here. 
I'm just a stranger, you know, in a, living in a foreign country. This is not my home. My home is somewhere else. I know recently Leland presented a lesson and, and he talked or studied about home. And you have that old familiar hymn, a favorite of many of us, where it says, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We're just aliens, exiles, pilgrims. Let me ask you this. And I'm asking myself the same question as we just take a moment to, to reflect on some of these things. And that is, do we arrange our lives materially in a way that suggests otherwise. We sing, this world is my home, I'm just passing through. But do we sometimes arrange and order, and I'm not saying it's all wrong, but it's all perspective and emphasis and priority and attachments. Do we sometimes arrange our lives in such a way that if, when the world looks at us, that doesn't appear to be the case, that this world is not our home. Luke 14, you know, is Jesus' teaching, and uh, it's one of the occasions when he's talking about the cost of discipleship. And in that verse, it talks about those who desire to be my disciple must be willing to sell all. Abraham did, in a sense. When God called him to leave Ur of Chaldees, what did he do? You know, did he sell everything? I don't know if he sold everything, but he left everything behind and only took what he could carry, you know, for the life that he would now live for the rest of his days. Now, we do know Abraham was very blessed of God. So it's not to say that possessions and prosperity is all wrong. No, he was very blessed. He was a rich man. But he wasn't living for the here and now. Now, contentment, we understand, is a key. It's a major key to this success of you know, having undistracted devotion. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 chapter 6, verse 6, it says, you know, Now, godliness is a means of great gain with contentment. Godliness is a means of great gain with contentment. That's verse 6. And then in verse 8, it goes on to say, you know, you know, if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. That sounds pretty meager to me. And so contentment is not an easy lesson for us to learn in our world and in our country. Where the American dream has so much to do with our materialism that makes our life comfortable and creates leisure for us. So let me ask you this. Abraham's the example, the one who makes such great and so many sacrifices. You think about it. What a faith to emulate, a faith to seek to emulate as we walk by faith. Would, would we... Would you and I be content? Would we, would we settle for living in a tent if it meant securing a home in heaven? Would we do that? 
Just a thought. Abraham did. Have we become too, in that sense, have we, have we become kind of too settled or too comfortable or maybe even too dependent with our prosperity? Being prosperous and being blessed is not wrong. It's not all bad. But do we get too settled and too comfortable and too dependent upon it? You know, we have nice houses and we give thanks to God for that. We most of us probably have closets full of clothes, some that we're not even wearing anymore. And we give thanks to God for that. And we have refrigerators and freezers full of food, and sometimes we end up throwing away food because we can't get around and eating it, and it goes bad. And we give thanks to God for that. And we have entertaining leisure at our disposal. So if we're going to secure undistracted devotion, the first thing, or at least one of the things we need to work on as brothers and sisters in Christ is cultivating this attitude of Abraham, being aliens in a foreign country, even in the great so-called USA. God really wants us to be able to travel in this life lightly. He wants us to travel lightly in this world. Why is that? Because God wants us to be able to make our journey without all the burdens of material concerns that sometimes become an obstacle to us. So that's the first suggestion. Cultivate an attitude as an, of an alien in a foreign land. Second point. Second one is this. Cherish Christ above this life's successes. Succeeding is not a bad thing. And I would encourage you and encourage the young to excel and use the, the, the abilities and the potential that's before you and do well in what you set your mind to do when it's good. But we need to make sure as we seek to succeed in this world, in our lives today, we need to make sure that we are cherishing a Christ above those successes. Or, at least, or another way of saying it, we need to cherish Christ above even the potential successes that are before us. The passage I want you to kind of turn to now is over in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, as we... Very briefly touch on Paul's life. Philippians chapter 3. Now if you recall, Paul's former life was a storehouse of success. It really was. And so when you read here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, in verse four, you know, beginning there in verse 4 through 6, he, he lists all these things from his past. His former life. And he goes on to say in the seventh verse, But whatever things were gained to me, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them 
The them is all those successes from his past. That storehouse of his former life. I count all of those things as rubbish or garbage so that I may gain Christ. Just think about that. Think about Paul's past. He was not a bad guy in one sense. He was not a believer in Christ. That's not good. He was a persecutor of Christians, and that's not good either. But he was not just the worst criminal in the world. He was a very religious man of faith who devoted himself to trying to do what he thought was right in God's eyes. So he he has this past that was really a path of success. And he was willing to basically give it all up. And why did he give it up? What was he giving it up for? Well, he was giving it all up to serve the Lord, but to serve the Lord at the cost of persecution for Christ's sake. That's what he did. He didn't give it up to serve the Lord. He gave it up to serve the Lord and to be persecuted. Now, there were gains in that past life that he could have had. Things such as prestige, uh, reputation, power, influence, perhaps even financial security. He could have succeeded in a lot of ways in a worldly way. And the world would have praised him for it. But he gave it all up. He gave it all up for the Lord and for the sake of persecuting for the cause of Christ. Christ was more important. Christ was more important to him. He cherished Jesus above everything else. He chose. It was a choice. He chose the hardship. How about a a hard life? Paul's life was a hard life. He chose hardship of being a Christian. It wasn't hard just because he was an apostle. It was hard because he was a Christian. And he chose that above an ambitious past, above a past that was a road to great success and a success and a path that would have spared him a lot of the trouble, a lot of the hardship that he had to endure. But he gave it all up for Christ. He cherished Jesus more than anything else. So that's why I would suggest to you the second point is that we we need to cherish the Lord above the successes of our lives. In 1 John 2, it talks about, or contrasts really, the love of the Father versus the love of the world. And the love of this world does not consist only of sinful lusts. That's not the only thing that the, the love of this world is made up of. It also includes pride. Pride's the third component of the love of this world. And so you think about that idea. The pride of life is not only arrogant pursuits of ungodly lust. That's not the only aspect of pride. Pride can also be, pride can also be acceptable earthly pursuits that simply become all-consuming. And then turn into this boastful pride over vain accomplishments. 
you know, those pursuits, those earthly endeavors don't have to be inherently evil. But the, the thing about pride, it can corrupt all of that by shifting the emphasis. Let me illustrate it just one way. You know, a job, a job is an important part of being a Christian. The job is an important part of being Christian. It is an important part of pleasing God. And the Gospels are very clear. If we have an attitude and a lifestyle that we are unwilling to work, you know, we're too lazy to work, you know, we choose not to work when we can work, you know, and he says, then, you know, you are unworthy of God. So work is important. We understand that. But that job, whatever our jobs are, that job without circumspection, without wisdom from above, that job can become one of the greatest or greater distractions to our devotion to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? How the devil can take something good, something that God wants us to be doing, he can just start tweaking it here and tweaking it there, just shifting our emphasis, shifting our attitudes, shifting you know, what's important to us, and so on and so on. And suddenly this, thing, this job that was a good job has become something that takes us away from the Lord. Earthly success, earthly success, are, you know, they are, it's not all bad, but earthly successes can ensnare us. And earthly gains, which are not all bad, that come with success, they can cost us our souls. So the second point is, cherish Christ above all of your successes. Cherish Christ above all of your plans. Cherish Christ above all of your ambitions. Put Christ first. Third point and then the lesson will be yours. And that is this. Choose alliances. Choose alliances that promote this undistracted devotion to the Lord. So we've got three. Cultivate an attitude of an alien in a foreign country. I've been there. Literally. An alien in a foreign country trying to preach the gospel. But secondly, cultivate, you know, not only cultivate the right attitude, but also cherish Christ above everything. And then thirdly, choose alliances that promote undistracted devotion to the Lord. Our associations and our friendships can have an enormous impact on us, an enormous influence for good or for bad. And we know that. We know that. This is, there's nothing new I'm telling you tonight. You already know all of this. But it's, it's important for us to remind ourselves and to think about these things. The scriptures warn us about this. Passages like 1 Corinthians 15 about you know, bad company, corrupts good morals. Or 1 Peter 4.4 4 where it says you know, you know, they, they're going to malign you because you don't run in the same dissipation with them anymore. The scriptures warn us about our worldly connections. James 4 verse 4 talks about how 
You know, friendship with, with, with the world puts us at enmity with God. And so, yes, friendly, worldly connections, worldly friendships can, can, doesn't always have to be, but they can pull us away from God. We know that. And so choose your alliances wisely. Choose alliances. Choose connections that are going to promote undistracted devotion to the Lord. And I want to focus on one aspect. And this, you know, and this would you know, be primarily d- directed to young people who are single. You know, God ordained marriage for one man and one woman is for their well. It is for our well-being throughout our lifetime. That is God's will. What God has designed, what God has, has made, and what God has provided is for our well-being for a lifetime. And so clearly we see God's plan and God's design and how good it is and how it is, is good for us. Genesis you know, 2.24, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall be one. Or Hebrews 13.4, where he talks about marriage is honor on the side of all and, and the bed undefiled, but God will judge fornicators and adulterers. We know all of that. That marriage is good and marriage is honorable. Marriage is a deterrent to sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about that. And clearly we, we emphasize the, the, the principle and the, and, and, and the commandment of God. And it says, what God has joined together, let not man break, sever, put asunder. Marriage is good. It's meant to be good. For our well-being for a lifetime. But let me say this. Based upon 1 Corinthians 7. We'll turn there please. We're going to read some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Once again, the idea is choose alliances that promote undistracted devotion to the Lord. And my point is this. Is marriage can. Marriage can become a huge distraction to faithful service and faithful devotion in Christ. It can. So choose wisely. We're going to read a number of verses. We're not going to read, obviously, the entire chapter and all all that it says about marriage. But I've selected a few that bring out this point. That marriage can become a distraction to your devotion if you do not choose wisely. And so, beginning there in verse 7 of the 7th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We're going to read verse 7 and 8, and then we're going to drop down to verse 25 and and just read a few verses that are scattered in this text. Verse 7, Paul says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. In the context, he's speaking how Paul was unmarried. He's single. He says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain, even as I. Drop down to verse 25. Now concerning... Virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is 
good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Let's drop down a few more verses and pick up our reading at verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Choose your alliances wisely. Yes, God has designed marriage. God has made us that we would desire that relationship and all that is good and can be very good, not only in this life, but also in your walk as a Christian. It can be a help to you. But understand what Paul is saying here. Marriage can become a huge distraction to faithful people. If you think about it, a good marriage, a good marriage at best is going to create a division of interest as couples face the challenge, face the challenge of trying to balance between spiritual endeavors and physical cares that must be taken care of. Faithful couples, strong couples have to find the balance between that. That's not always easy. And so, yes, our interests can be pulled. We can sometimes get distracted, but even things that need to be tended to. It can be difficult enough when everything is right. When everything, as it should be, it's hard enough in a marriage. And we don't say that to say, don't ever get married and scare you in doing this. But approach it wisely. Approach it carefully. So choose your mate who will help you be faithful. Choose a mate who will help you to be devoted to the Lord. Choose a mate who will help you make it to heaven. Because that needs to be your prioritized ambition. Getting married is not your ambition. Finishing school. Getting a job is not, should not be your ambition. Your ambition should be making it to heaven. And so you have the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You have him warning these Christians about entering marriage because of distractions, because of distresses that would be you know, difficult for them, challenging for them 
when it comes to them trying to pursue faithfully spiritual things. And so remaining unmarried at that time may have been better for them considering the distress of the persecutions that were on the rise. Paul was looking to take care of them, to give them wisdom so they would make the best decisions for them. So it's Paul's words or words of caution. They're words calling for one to weigh the spiritual risk. And he says, I'm saying this about maybe you shouldn't get married right now. Maybe you shouldn't marry this person because... I'm trying to save you trouble. I'm trying to spare you heartache. Marriage is not the remedy to everything. Marriage is good. When built on God and built on God's plan, it is good. And God wants you to have that goodness. But marriage is not the remedy for everything. You know, our concerns are to be primarily directed to the Lord. And that's the emphasis in some of the verses that we read when it talks about those who are unmarried, those that are widowed, how their interest could be solely be serving the Lord. They don't have to be concerned about the loved ones and their well-being and their safety. And so, you know, you know they're confessed. Yes, our concern needs to be on the Lord, but our concern for loved ones does tug at our heart. And our concern for loved ones can elevate the stresses in our life as a Christian. All that's true. It's all just part of life. So what happens when we, put a re, when we put a restraint upon our lives that may be unwise? What happens when we put a restraint on our lives that may be even unseemly? You know, we admit circumstances, our environment around us affect us. Even when we're trying to keep the world at bay, we, we know we're affected by our environment. And so it is a struggle. We're fighting the good fight. But how much more when it's relationships? How much more when it's a friendship or particularly it's a marriage? For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6, verse 14, it's very familiar. It talks about do not be unequally yoked. You're familiar with that passage. It talks about the contrast of righteousness and unrighteousness. And Christ and Belial, and, and, he, and he talks about how we are sons of God. We are daughters of God, and, and we are the temple of the Lord. And so Christians are being admonished there not to be bound together in a relationship that would be, de- that would be detrimental. It's not talking solely about marriage there. It's not limited to marriage in that context. Marriage could be included, but that's not the only relationship that where we can bind ourselves to, to individuals and they can destroy our faith. We understand disarm, disharmony will lead to compromise, and compromise eventually will lead to a severance of fellowship with God. And you just think about that admonishment or that command in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. says, do not be unequally yoked. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Just think about that admonishment, that warning, that teaching. Failure to heed this simple instruction in that one passage. And it's not the only one that touches on this, this subject. But failure to do that already indicates that that person, that child of God's, 
devotion is already distracted. Because he's not laying up treasures in heaven. Our goal as brothers and sisters in Christ is to encourage each other to be devoted and to remain devoted to the Lord and to try to do so without the distractions of this world. And so we have to work at securing that kind of undistracted devotion. So the three points again are cultivate an attitude where you see yourself as a stranger in your country. Second, cherish the Lord Jesus Christ above all of your successes and all your potential successes. And thirdly, choose wisely those alliances that will promote your goals, that will help you in your ambitions. And so what decisions, what plans are you you doing right now that is helping you in your journey to heaven? What are you doing right now that is helping you in that journey? And what can you do more to improve that endeavor? Thank you so much for your kind attention tonight. Appreciate that very much. What do we love more? What do we desire more? God's ways or the world's ways? Which has a greater pull on us? Which has a greater attachment to us? God or this world? It's your decision. And you make that decision every day. Every day you get up and God gives you the very strength to take your breath. You make a decision which path you're going to walk and which ways that you're going to follow. We want to encourage you to follow Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and He died on a cross thousands of years ago, yes. But it's true, and it's real. And he died on that cross for you and for me. Because in our sins, we are lost and damned to an eternity in hell. That's serious. But God loves us, and Jesus loves us, and the Spirit loves us. And we are provided a path of salvation. But it's God's way not our way. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ and you believe him to be the Son of God but you've not rendered obedience to his teaching, to his commandments and you know what you need to do, don't keep procrastinating this decision. Make the decision tonight. Make the decision to commit your life to the Lord to turn away from the world and the sins of your life and obey Jesus in repentance and baptism. We want to help you in that journey. If you are a Christian, and maybe your devotion has become broken, and you need to mend it, you need to put back the pieces together, and you can't do that by yourself, you can only do it with the Lord's help. If we can assist you any way spiritually, we invite you, encourage you, please come now while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Mm-hmm.